Hey, it's Andrew Morgan, host of the Nomcast, the Netflix original movie podcast. Each week, we review the biggest Netflix original movies with special guests from the film industry, the music industry, comedians, and of course, our fellow podcasters. Check us out on the web at nomcastpod.com. Follow us on the socials at nomcastpod. And most importantly, listen and subscribe to us wherever you get podcasts. Hit that beat one time. Hi, I'm Mike. And I'm Dave. And join us every Thursday for a new episode of Two Player Bros, a podcast about two guys who play way too many video games. Join me and Dave as we talk about the latest in Xbox, PlayStation, PC, and VR news, previews, and reviews. We have it all, and we play it all. And join us every other week for Post Game, where we play through and dive deep into our favorite modern classics and new releases. That's Two Player Bros, available every Thursday wherever you get your podcast. part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Hello there, I'm Colleen. I'm Anders. And I'm Daniel. We're three nerds who met through our love of science fiction and fantasy storytelling. Of course, one of our favorites is George Lucas's signature achievement, Star Wars. And if there is one thing the internet definitely doesn't have enough of, it's nerds talking about Star Wars. So here we are with yet another Star Wars podcast, where every week we journey to a galaxy far, far away to discuss one of the films in the current Star Wars canon. We'll talk about how our relationship with the film has changed over time, how the film builds on what became before it, and forms our understanding of the Force. Finally, we'll provide you with some recommendations for other material you may enjoy if you love these movies. And this week, y'all, woo! We're joined by a very special guest star. From Bohemian Geek Studies, we have the queen of queries herself, Sarah O. Connor. Wonderful people. I am so flipping thrilled to be here to talk to you and talk with you about Phantom Menace. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Well, this week we are crash landing on Tatooine to avoid the monotony of treaty politics. Are you guys ready for the pod race? No, please no. You know what? Don't let the Slamos get you down. Yeah, Yahoo! Freaking punch it. Let's go. All right, let's jump right into it then. So, Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace was originally released on May 19th, 1999, just a few days shy of the 22-year anniversary of the original film. And one day was before the- my birthday. <laughs> it was, let's see, five days after my sixth birthday. Oh, maybe. <laughs> I turned 18 the next day. We're just going to start with that. So, Daniel, you were already too old to be stolen by the Jedi for training by the time it came out. Yeah. Yeah, my dreams were were shattered, unfortunately. (laughs) It was then re-released in 2012 in 3D. Now, the plan at the time was to release all six movies at that point in 3D. But after the Disney acquisition, the plan was scrapped to focus on development of Force Awakens. And so this was actually the only one to get released in 3D. And I got to say, Disney, thank you for that call. I am so happy that the like 3D movie craze seems to be pretty much behind us. Avatar was the only movie that ever actually pulled it off. I wear glasses. It's so hard to watch a 3D movie when you have to put another pair of glasses over your glasses. Yeah. Yeah. So at the time of release, way back in 1999, this movie had a budget of $115 million, which was about four times the budget of any of the previous movies. And again, at the time, it had the largest single day gross ever at $28 million. 
It was the fastest movie to make it to $100 million, which it did within five days. It was also the fastest movie to hit $200 and $300 million, respectively. On its wow. initial theatrical run, it made $431.1 million domestic, $493.2 million overseas for a total of $924.3 million. That this is, is back in 1999. Jeez, Louise. And then after the 3D release, that total gross did inch over that billion dollar mark for a total of $1.027 billion. Wild. This whole thing. I feel like I feel like this is a little too negative off the jump, but how did this movie make a billion dollars? People you mean hungry. how did this hungry. movie not make it? Come on. <laughs> I guess that's gonna segue right into our next little bit, guys. Sarah, you wanna start us off as our guest today? What do you think yeah. of this movie? So I really like it. I um I'm a big sucker for young Obi and even more so for Qui-Gon. And frankly, this is the only time you get to see Qui-Gon on the screen. And like, why did he have to die so early? There's so many reasons for Anakin reasons, for movie reasons, for what I'd want to see on the screen reasons. Qui-Gon left us way, way too soon, even though how he left us was absolutely epic. Mm-hmm. Um I really think that it's interesting to see how Darth Vader came to be. And this is literally the inception of that. So like, just because he's a cute little kid, it's wild to think like, what is this little child's trajectory? And this is, this is where it begins. This is how it all begins. This is, this is canon folks. And so to be able to, to peek behind what we've never seen before, that's wildly exhilarating and speaking of similarly wildly exhilarating to kind of see that trajectory, it's lovely. It's absolutely sublime to see how the two most iconic robots came to be. And obviously when I'm talking about robots, I'm talking about droids. I'm talking about C-3PO and R2-D2. Like it is Defend wonderful to see how they were born and how they came to be. And, and I really love this quote from the movie, quote, and this is, this is Annie. Oh, Mom, little Annie. Little Annie. He's a little angel, at least at this point in time. <laughs> Quote, Mom, you say the biggest problem in the universe is no one helps each other. I'm like, wow, is that not one of the truest things ever? Mm-hmm. And and just heartbreaking when you consider what happens to young Anakin as he ages and as he falls to the dark side. So I got to say, I'm, I'm going to be the hype woman for this movie. I really enjoy <laughs> it. I think it's a sweet movie. It is pretty sweet. Yeah. Oh. So one of the things I had wanted to look up um, is whether or not, because I'm obsessed with Qui-Gon Jinn, he knew that Padme was the queen the whole time she was masquerading as a handmaiden. And, and Do any of you guys want to take a guess whether he knew the whole time or take a stance as to whether or not he knew the whole time? Well, so the script says that Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan give each other some knowing looks and the novelization of the movie says that Qui-Gon knew the queen was posing as a handmaiden. I personally, watching it, I always thought Qui-Gon probably knew. I I got the impression that he kind of knew what was going on, but, you know, I never really knew until now that that was even in the scripts. Mm-hmm. yeah isn't that I, so yeah. cool and people's signature in the force is different too 
And I'm pretty mm -hmm. sure that Padme probably has a very strong presence within the Force. So Qui-Gon's probably like, mm, that's not handmaiden. <laughs> or else this handmaiden is like stacked when it comes to the Force. Um, in the book Queen's Shadow, Padme says that Qui-Gon knew and discovered it on his own. And then Bail Organa was the only other one who knew about the ruse, besides like her captain of the guard and her handmaidens themselves. Yeah, the rest of the handmaidens. Yeah, yeah I actually knew. Yeah, I think for me, I wasn't, I was never sure if they knew or not, it, they had more than like a hunch, but it was funny watching this movie this time, I picked up on so many of like smaller, subtler things to kind of indicate to us as the audience that this was a thing. And I'm thinking actually specifically the moment where it's Sabe is the handmaiden is posing as the queen and tells Padme to clean R2-D2 after he has rescued the ship from the Trade Federation blockade. Mm -hmm. And I remember like the first couple of times I rewatched it, you actually go in and you're like, oh, she's like flexing. She's telling her boss to clean the <laughs> droid and, and do this. And it actually plays kind of pretty hilariously. But this time I was actually looking at it and I noticed how what it actually does is A, establishes a direct line of communication between her and Padme. It also moves Padme out of everyone's point of view so she can kind of listen without being watched and observed, establishing her as the lower handmaiden so people probably are less likely to pay attention to her. And it is a really kind of more brilliant move for her to secretly communicate what she wants the situation to kind of play out as. Yeah. Yeah, Padme is brilliant, so when I first saw it, I thought it was so goofy. And now, like you said, as an adult, you're like, oh man, what a smart, like yeah. what a smart person. She is able to just focus with no one knowing. Yep. yep. All of her, I, her and the handmaidens are very savvy and they're all trained in mm -hmm. espionage. So they all know what they're doing. Yeah. 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 So cool. So badass. I, I like the idea of Padme initially pulling the wool over everyone's eyes and eventually Qui-Gon comes to this obvious realization, almost almost as if the audience does as well in time Qui-Gon does as well. Yeah. Now, do I want to say that the audience has the force? Of course I do, because I was like that before. Well, they didn't keep it secret very well when they said who Natalie Portman was being cast as. Oh, so right. The audience was like in on it pretty quickly. The kids probably might not have been, but the older people watching would have been like, that's Natalie Portman, obviously. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, speaking of Natalie Portman and her importance, one of the other questions I had is like, why, oh, why is Naboo so important? I mean, this is where... This is where we begin. This is where we kick things off. So why, oh, why is this planet at the crux of it all? Because it's gorgeous. It is stunningly beautiful. It's where all the rich people are and the artists. I mean, it, mm -hmm. it really isn't a linchpin in the galaxy until now. Like, this is a turning point for Naboo. It helped Palpy's rise to power to have his home planet be kind of that center stage for a hostile takeover because nobody likes the Nemoidians, nobody likes the Trade Federation. They're all gonna be like, oh, the poor Naboo, what, what will they do? They can't get food. So then the villains arise and then Palpatine looks better, more sympathetic. Mm -hmm. And he looks like he's just trying to do everything he can to help his home planet, raises his popularity so that he can then be a front runner for chancellor 
and of course he had Plagueis in the background also kind of puppeteering things but at this point Palpatine is really at the forefront of his own kind of rise to power which is fun to see and he's directly connected to Padme too like he has her ear she goes yeah. to him and asks for advice so he he pretty much has it in the bag here and he's controlling the trade federation too so he it's not that Naboo was important it's that Palpatine and Plagueis made it important yeah. playing 40 chess the whole time but uh Colleen what about uh, your other thoughts on the movie as a whole I do like this movie. <laughs> you'll, you'll hear me whine about some things later, but it has some real highs and some really epic lows, you guys. I hate the pod racing scene. I'm probably the oh. only person here that hates it. I hate it Holding so much. My heart. I, I'm not a big car chase scene person in general. I like the French Connection car chase. That's pretty much like the car chase. So How would else you have... That, I'm like, eh. Colleen, how would you have preferred Anakin showing his prowess? Because I think the pod racing does this really, really well. So have you ever considered an alternative to Shortening like... it. Yeah, yeah, cut the pod okay, race by two thirds. Half. Okay. Or okay. two thirds. Okay. Yeah, cut it down at least. Like, do we really need that many laps? Couldn't he have just taken out people quicker? And I know that George is, an, is a car enthusiast. So this is mm-hmm. probably one of his favorite things. He yeah. loves this kind of stuff. Like American Graffiti... And it makes sense that he would put this in there. And kids like it. Kids are going right. to like this. I was a 17 slash 18 year old who was like, can we get to back to Ewan McGregor, please? <laughs> <laughs> like, like, why are we here? It was fun to see Jabba. I did like seeing Jabba. The announcer guy, not my jam either. It's it's too a little too Um, It was cheesy. two guys, Colleen. Come on. No, if I mean, gonna... one body, two heads. <laughs> I will be speaking about the announcer later on. I have feelings about the announcer. Mm, I, I enjoyed seeing the huts in kind of more of their heyday situation than in Return of the Jedi. Of mm-hmm. course, I could have used one million percent more Danger Snack Mall. Like, just more. He was in, like, mm-hmm. every single ad. He's the center was, of the poster. Yeah, all about mm-hmm. this guy who looks like a demon i was very intrigued and interested by that because it looked dangerous and new and different and then we got not enough of this really i mean intriguing would it ever character. be enough for you mm, that's hard to say <laughs> if they had less than this it might have been but yeah. because we got him in the expanded content yes. yeah maul's tough though because he he draws the attention really quickly so it, you kind of want to use him sparingly it's like ahsoka in Rebels, you can't have Maul be the focus if you want anyone else to get attention. So using him sparingly is a good idea. It was just too sparingly in this movie. I love Liam Neeson and Ewan McGregor. Their chemistry is the best chemistry um, in the movie, which is another problem that we will get to. And it was a huge blow to lose Qui-Gon so early in the series. Absolutely. Like our dude, our poor dude. And of course, we'll talk about this later, but the Duel of the Fates is probably one of my favorite sequences in Star Wars. So I do like this movie. It is very mm-hmm. good. I also have a question for you guys. I'm going to steal yeah. from Yoda a little bit here. Do you all think that Obi-Wan is too old to be Padawan at this time? He's 25 in this movie. And we've seen gra- Pad- like Padawans graduate, quote unquote, graduate much earlier, like Ahsoka does, Anakin does. Technically mm-hmm. during wartime, that's fair. But usually Padawans are chosen by their master by age 13, and they can move on to knighthood at any time, usually between the ages of 13 and 25. So he's in the range, but it just kind of seems like he's been cooking for a long time, and he's so talented. Why do we think, 
Liam, Liam Neeson, why didn't we think Liam Neeson, Qui-Gon, why don't we think he moved him up to night faster? I actually can give you somewhat of an answer. This is non-canon anymore, but this is one of the few non-canon Star Wars books that I've read. Um, there was a an old story about how uh, Obi-Wan and, and Qui-Gon's relationship as, as student and master, and in it, you learn that Obi-Wan like really was a late bloomer. Um, he, he was not very good at the force. He was not very good as a lightsaber duelist. Like he just wasn't good. He was almost shipped off to be a farmer instead. Like he almost got kicked out of the order in this old book. And so like, it takes him a a long time to finally like click and Qui-Gon and him form a bond. And because it's like that bond is so tight that he sticks with them longer. So Mm. it it takes Obi-Wan a little bit longer in the old EU to become a, um, a Jedi Knight and all that, but he um he was capable, but I don't think he wanted to leave yet. And there was a little bit of attachment between him and Qui Gon. Oh, so, oh no, interesting oh, yeah. attachments. Mm. Yeah, um, I have those. <laughs> now it's no longer canon, um, but that was an explanation that I had when I was a kid. I think but, it. I think it might have something to do with just Qui Gon not being as conventional. Mm-hmm. of a Jedi. 100%. He had some higher expectations or he had a few things that he was like, I'm not going to let him go through the trials until it's a done deal. Which is fair. And he's a dad. Like, he's basically Obi-Wan's dad. Yeah. yeah. Like in Master and Apprentice, when they're having their relationship issues, it's so much like a dad with a teenage son that cannot control his teenage mm-hmm. son. Yeah. Which I do enjoy. All right. Well, I'll say for me on the movie as a whole, I generally I generally like this movie overall. I had so much fun rewatching it this time. Like I haven't actually rewatched the movies in a while before we started recording these episodes. And I'm just having so much fun. And this one was one that it was just like pure fun for the sake of being fun. Mm-hmm. to watch it um i actually really do kind of like the final battle uh some of the special effects don't really hold up so well anymore but i'm willing to forgive it because the battle droids on the gungans whatever you think about the gungans daniel i know you're going to talk about that later mm-hmm. um it's cgi versus cgi so it doesn't it's not quite as jarring than if they had like a live action army versus a cgi army yeah Um, And I also noticed a few very small details this time around that uh, I wanted to bring up. So Qui-Gon says at one point that greed can be a powerful ally. And isn't that basically the philosophy that allows Palpatine slash Hedius to eventually take control of the galaxy? (laughs) Qui-Gon is not wrong, though. (laughs) He's not wrong. (laughs) He's not wrong. As a matter of fact, that exact thinking basically leads to the Empire. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Greed is good. The Gordon yes. Geckos of the galaxy are getting together. <laughs> exactly. That was a lot of G's. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> hi, then, Dunk. Hi, Dunk. Oh, Come visit Dunk. us, little cat. Hi, Nini. His customary appearance. Yes. You can't um, see him, everyone, then, but he's here. <laughs> I don't know why I never made this connection before in my mind, but when Padme is up addressing the Senate and they are talking about sending like a commission to go to Nebu and investigate her claims, and she just says, I am not, I was not elected to watch my people suffer and die while you discuss this invasion in a committee. 
and it was a complete like Han Leia callback to no time to discuss this at a committee and like it just be like I am not a committee from Empire Strikes Back <laughs> and I, I don't know why I never made that connection oh. before but it was just a really fun little detail that I wanted to bring yeah. up well I had never noticed that connection so I'm glad you did <laughs> um so I I know I kind of started a little harsh on the movie I like it um it, it, it's good like there's a lot of good stuff in the movie but then there's just a lot of bad that i don't care for um it, it can be cheesy but not always cheesy in the way that made the originals endearing um you know qui-gon and obi-wan fantastic pairing qui-gon fantastic character i wish he'd stuck around more the action is great and i'm sorry Colleen, I love the pod racing scene. Obviously, I love you were it. Six. You were six. I know. <laughs> it was amazing. It was the best <laughs> yeah, thing my stupid little brain had ever seen. Um, and I, I just love star, uh, starships and, and you know, speeders and all that from Star Wars. So, like, one of my favorite scenes from Return of the Jedi is when they're racing through Endor on the speeders. So, I was like, this is an even heightened version of that. It was mm. the greatest thing I'd ever seen. Um, yeah. So, I could talk about pod racing a lot more i'm going to stop myself there um i overall it's more fun than i give it credit for um but there were just parts where i would just sit back and go oh my god how many more minutes is this scene like what are we doing here um that's colleague during the pod race yeah i just it, it's not the place i would have started the trilogy if i was the one making this story um it just feels too disconnected from the other two where it feels like we kind of wasted time on the clone wars by or waste of time not exploring the clone wars more yeah. by starting here um yeah. but you know in the, at the end of the day i still enjoy the movie yeah mm-hmm. and i mean obviously this movie has now been out for over 20 years and so i know <laughs> it holds up let's just let's draw a clear line in the sand and say it holds up yes for the yeah. most part yes it for holds up the most up. part is good the effects still are good i mean i definitely would have aged up anakin Yes, definitely. Well, yes, yeah. I mean, that's the one. One of the biggest mistakes was was doing that. I think I don't know, but your opinions on this could have changed. Like, obviously, we evolve as people. So, Sarah, how has your relationship with this particular movie kind of evolved over time, if it has? Yeah. So, I've grown to appreciate it more. I originally didn't think that I remember seeing it in theaters, but now that you guys had mentioned that it was that it came out in 3D, I think I might have actually seen it in 3D, but I don't really remember it. So when it came out, I was like 12 or 13, and I just I don't really remember it that well. But I do remember probably now 10 years ago, eight years ago, I was watching it with my boyfriend, now husband. And I wanted to impress him by watching it and enjoying it. Like it was very important to me for him to see like, yeah, I'm totally cool. Um, And the character Jar Jar, he, he gets tossed around a lot in the trash. He's grown on me too. I can appreciate (laughs) him more. And I also like, because I've, I've read Master and Apprentice and I've got other people in the community, I can appreciate more of the subtleties that were going on that people who understood the lore would immediately get because, you know, for a movie, you're supposed to show, not tell. And there was a lot of 
showing without telling that I'm that as much as I was very gung ho about the movie, there were some things that if you were a casual newbie to the movie, you'd be missing some of these things, like especially when it came to the Jedi powers and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So that I've grown an appreciation because my understanding has grown. That's one of the great things about a movie like this is that you can enjoy it without knowing those things. Yeah. But what but when you do, you get that much more out of it and you don't have to take that extra step. But if you want to, it's there. So I was 11 when this movie came out originally. And I don't really remember actually going to see it. And I know I did see it in the theater at the time, but I don't have a vivid memory of that specifically. But I do remember the hype. Everyone was so hyped up about this movie. And I remember my dad, after we saw the trailer, saying how in his mind, it's going to be a good movie, but it's not going to be Star Wars. And I don't know why. Yeah. Well, at that point, we really only had the original trilogy. And now I think I do kind of understand what I do understand where he was coming from with that. And I think if we didn't have things like Clone Wars Rebels, some of the expanded content, I might actually still have that kind of opinion. Like this was this was different. Yeah. Not in a bad way necessarily, but this was something different. And I remember the reports at the time. I looked the numbers up on uh, IMDb trivia. I didn't personally do this. Like I said, I was only 11 at the time. But upwards of like 75% of theaters reported that when the trailer for this movie came out, people would pay full, full price admission for a movie, watch the trailer for this, and then leave the theater. Wow. <laughs> Which was one of the first times. It wasn't online yet. <laughs> exactly. YouTube wasn't really a thing yet. Like, this is the first time I remember this much hype. That's beautiful. That is crazy. And I got to say, power of fandom. I think my yeah. brother's friends did that. Come to think of it, I think they did. <laughs> and I just remember I loved this movie when it first came out. I really did. I watched it so many times over those first couple of years. It was probably one of the first movies I had on DVD. I was obsessed with all the special features, like learning the mechanics of how they did the pod race and everything else. I didn't really have like a specific moment or particular thing I was attached to. I was just in awe of the spectacle of the whole thing, which again, I was like 11 or 12. That's exactly what they were going for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, over you're time, the demographic they're trying to get. Exactly. Over time, I've, I've recognized a lot of the issues that the movie had, a lot of the weak points. But I do think, actually overall, I think it's the most underrated Star Wars film. Hmm. Not saying it necessarily needs to be in the upper echelon, but I think it gets lost in conversation. Like people either talk about how great they, for whatever reason, think Revenge of the Sith is, for, or how bad they think Attack of the Clones <laughs> is, and this one just kind of gets lost. And I do think that there's enough good things in this movie that actually should put it back in the conversation. I never really understood why people hate Jar Jar so much. Now, at the time, originally, I did not pick up on like the racial stereotypes that are absolutely problematic, and I do, and I'm able to see now that should not be there. But in terms of people having such vitriol to this character and saying how he's just so annoying and he's the most annoying piece of crap that's ever been on screen, I never, I was like, I mean, he's not great, but he, he's all right. He's fine. Like, 
why are we hating on him so much? You know, definitely didn't, uh, definitely not what George Lucas was hoping he was going to be. George Lucas thought he was going to be even bigger than baby Yoda is now. <laughs> well, I mean, in a way he was. <laughs> no. In a good way. He thought that that was going to be the case. Oh no, 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 no. <laughs> but, and so no. between all that like random hate that quite frankly, I just don't have energy for. And the effect that it did have on Ahmed Best, yeah. it was just not a good look for no. late 90s fandom. I'm very glad he's back in the franchise holding, hosting a Jedi Temple Challenge. Mm-hmm. It's adorable. It is adorable. Yeah. And he's so good with the kids. Yeah. So, so good. I feel bad, too, for Jake Lloyd. What happened to him? Oh, very much so. Yeah. I'll talk because about that was, later. Yeah, he's a, a kid, guys. Like, let's not hate on a child please let's not Mm -hmm. um like i said i was 17 18 when this came out i remember being like really cautiously excited to see it i wasn't like the huge star wars fan back then but i still wanted to see it because it's new and it's star wars like of course i want to go see it jar jar annoyed the hell out of me (laughs) because i was too old for that sort of nonsense (laughs) and it's not that the performance was bad like Ahmed Best did a really good job with his performance. It it's not his fault that George made him this kind of caricature kind of thing, mm-hmm. and it's not his fault that the stereotype was super cringy. It's not his fault. That's the creator's fault. Also weirded out by the age difference between Anakin and Padme, because I didn't know how old they were, because they don't really say how old they are on screen Mm -hmm. because Anakin is supposed to be nine almost ten and Padme is supposed to be 14 and Natalie Portman does not look like she's 14 in this movie and Jake Lloyd Mm -hmm. looks like he's younger than nine yeah so it was a really hard thing to deal with that they're supposed to be like the love interests in this movie I wanted them to age him up I do like this movie a lot more after watching the Clone Wars animated Mm -hmm. show it gives a lot more gravity to the situation and we get more Maul, of course, so that's always good. And we get more Qui-Gon. We get more reason for Qui-Gon to be around, which I'm all for. Knowing Maul survived was handy. I love that. And also reading the Padme books really helps this movie a ton. Just to know the background with Padme and her handmaidens and knowing that her handmaidens aren't just like random chicks that are wandering around with hoods, <laughs> hooded robes. They're like assassin level girls that are really good at their jobs like that and that those costumes serve a very important purpose exactly yeah the costuming is really important it's protective Mm -hmm. it's her mask the voice they use the voice because it helps mask who she is like no one really knows who she actually is Mm -hmm. when they run for queen they kind of put on a persona and they're not their self selves anymore so getting that kind of backstory really helps this movie along a lot. I love seeing the young Kira Knightley as Sabe. She she was slays. twelve. Yeah. Kira Knightley was twelve when she yeah. auditioned for this movie, and My she's word. more of like the correct age. I would have hoped that maybe a ten-year-old and a twelve-year-old could have like this kind of adorable thing going on. She's really good in this, though. Like, mm-hmm. and I love Sabe. Sabe can kick all the ass that she needs to <laughs> and then also richard armitage is in this movie yes lincoln you'll miss him naboo starfighter pilot author ek johnson said that her character tanra is supposed to be richard armitage's character and he gets it on with sabe they have like a romance and it's so cute i can't you guys it's 
so good. So yes, I like this movie. It has problems. We'll talk more about the problems in a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, okay, like I said, I was six when this came out, so I just ate it up. Uh, I remember my grandparents giving me the VHS for Christmas, I think, that year. And I just, I actually, like, I I messed up the tape inside the VHS. I watched mm-hmm. it so much. We had to get DVDs. <laughs> um, I loved it I, I, so much. Um, and then as I got older, like into my teens, I was seeing the cracks in them, especially one and two. And I was like, oh, this isn't my Star Wars. My Star Wars is the original <laughs> trilogy. That's what my parents showed me. Um, and so for like this long time, I was like, the action's cool, but I don't like it. Um, and I had this like kind of weird, like, eh, I'm not going to focus on the prequels at all. I'm only going to like focus on the other stuff. And then I started watching Clone Wars, I think like 2015, 2016. 16 um i had just like graduated college and i didn't really have much to do while i was waiting on a job to start and i was like oh wow this clone wars is really good mm-hmm. maybe this prequel era is kind of good and then uh-huh. i like watched the movies again and i was like oh you know the story here is is i i like this this overarching story in the prequels is very well thought out and i like what they do here um so i like i fell back in love with these movies but there's still parts of them that I just can't get over. Um, all the best to Ahmad Best. We love you. Um, I just can't stand Jar Jar. Um, I, I definitely separate that distaste out. Like it has nothing to do with Ahmad Best. He's amazing. Love what he's doing. I'm so glad he's back in the in the in the fold with everything. It's just even that young. I was like Jar Jar's annoying. He, his <laughs> jokes aren't funny. They're not landing with me. Um, and like it felt like he got in the way of more serious moments. And um, especially the one that drives me nuts is when they're going through the planet core and uh, Qui-Gon's like, there's always a bigger fish. And like, they're having that moment. And then Jar Jar's just there to go, oh, like, come on, buddy. Just just stop for a second. Please. I'm actually going to call out that moment as one of his funnier moments when Qui-Gon's yeah. like, we're not, when Qui-Gon's like, we're not in trouble yet. And he's like, really? Giant fish out there. We're sinking in here and no power. When the, you think we're going to be in trouble? See that part was sure, <laughs> part sure. Was but in my in my like six year old brain, I was like, why are we not focusing on water Godzilla more? And like, what are we doing here? Uh, so like, I, th- there's stuff that bothers me, but overall, um, I've come to love this movie a lot more. But the stuff that really is bad is unfortunately there are definitely some racist influences on the Neboidians, the Gungans, and the Toydarians. Mm-hmm. Um, now, now George denies any intent. Um, he says that's not at all what they were going for, but you know, sadly, the the people in those communities that were affected saw them as stereotypical and harmful, and it's it's kind of obvious, George. Like, sadly, that's where I think some of the influence from Flash Gordon that he takes uh, was some of the wrong influence at that moment. Mm-hmm. Maybe leave some of those stereotypes behind, George. But yeah, um, anytime you attempt an accent like that is not probably going like, to turn out great. Like, come on, George. That not being your intention, but this being the result, that's the, uh, that's that whole like institutional bias. Yes. (laughs) Coming, coming up. Yeah. So, and that's the stuff that, that I think is hardest for me going back to this movie. I'm like, oh, this is, this is what's actually bad. Like the other stuff is just stuff I don't care for. This is actually bad. Mm -hmm. Um, But the rest of the movie, you know, I'm, I'm having a good time for, I'd say 80%. And then there's just a rough 20%. 
All right, now getting into some of our favorite little shout out moments, uh, starting mm-hmm. off with the favorite ships, starships specifically. Not relationships, <laughs> not shipping. <laughs> but I'm going to start us off here. I loved, I still love to this day, the Naboo Starfighters. They are so mm-hmm. sleek. They're so cool looking. Mm-hmm. You know, I love X-Wings and TIE Fighters to the ends of the galaxy, but they're so like, boxy and very they have very harsh lines all over the place and to see something with those curved edges was just so so cool mm-hmm. and so you like a ship with curves elegance very much so i also really like the uh the droid fighters i think mm-hmm. it's really really cool how they kind of turn from crawlers they hop up and become the flying starfighters um Several years after I saw this movie is when I got into Battlestar Galactica and the Cylon, like independently minded fighters where the ships themselves are the beings. It just kind of reminds me of that. And it's really, really cool. Heck yeah. Toasters. The toasters are out <laughs> flying around. I'm going to snap this one up. Maul's Sith Infiltrator. In yes. hindsight, the movie really does Maul so dirty. He is a capable fighter, but he's also a really great pilot. They don't really go over this very much in the movie, but he's really good. And his, sh- his ship is super dope looking. I'm all about mm-hmm. it. It's super sleek, just like the Naboo fighters. Not quite as shiny and pretty as they are, but it still gets the job done. The back end of it kind of looks like a TIE fighter with the curved wings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the fuselage in the back. I'm like, ooh. This is the start of the TIE Fighter. I like that it kind of foreshadows the Imperial presence in shipbuilding. And it's also like super graceful. It's a really graceful looking ship, just like Maul has that kind of wildcat panthery grace. The ship really fits his personality. Love it. Love, love, love it. Well, unfortunately, you did take the one I wanted to choose. The Synthical <laughs> Trader is amazing. Sorry. I claim everything, Maul. <laughs> But you know what? I totally understood it. I kind of expected it going in. But like like you said, it it almost has like a blade-like appearance to it, which fits his assassin role so well. Um, I loved that infiltrator. I had a Lego set of it, and it was the coolest thing. Um, but if I have to choose my own, I'm going to go for the consular-class cruiser. It's called the Radiant 7. It's the cruiser from the very beginning that Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon fly into the Trade Federation ship on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, sadly, blown up too soon before it's time. That beautiful, beautiful ship. I'm so sorry to see it go. <laughs> the Trade Federation ships are really cool, too, with the big yeah. sphere in the center. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They look cool. <laughs> oh, yeah. Even though they're not probably built quite enough to last a nine-year-old's assault, accidental assault on them. <laughs> That's yeah. what I was going to say. Specifically from the, the hangar. Of course, the bad guys have a ship that all it takes is one accurately placed bullet to just blow the whole thing up. I do love that about Star Wars. I am begging the engineers of Star Wars to just do a little bit more work, like shield your radiation uh, chambers, shield your engines, something just a little bit better. Well, that's kind of learn. Shouts to Rogue One. That's what I love about Rogue One, because that hatches up that hole so deliciously. Amen. It does. For real. All All the shouts to Galen or so. Yes. All right. Moving on from the ships, though, Sarah, as the defender of droids, do you have any particular droid or alien shout outs that you want to give us? Yeah. Of course. I mean, it's his beginning. This is the beginning. R2-D2. That little (laughs) droid 
didn't, guys. He didn't. I mean, it's just so warm and tingly feelings. So I've got to give shouts to our two for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. When he when he comes out and he's the only droid left after fixing the Naboo ship, like of course he's the only one left. He's so awesome. I don't know. I think that he absolutely let them take the hits for him. (laughs) (laughs) You go ahead, guys. I'll I'll, I'll follow. (laughs) R2 is not quite chopper level. Now that's true. Kidding? Chopper definitely would have. These oh, two yeah. things he are not mutually exclusive. Them. Chopper wouldn't have gone out in the first out. place. No. <laughs> Until the absolute last possible second. <laughs> I do have a quick question for droids. How do you guys feel about Anakin being 3PO's creator? Um, That never bugged me as much as it does yeah. other people. I do love uh, whenever he says thank the maker now, it's like, oh, it's Darth Vader. <laughs> <laughs> it was honestly, it was... That is funny. Yeah. It was one of those things I never really thought about it too much. I was just like, oh, okay, that's where 3PO came from. Now he's in this movie too. And then later on, like, I kind of forgot about it. I like it because, I mean, we we have on the one hand, one droid who always has his memory wiped no matter what. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, we've got another droid who has all of the memory in existence. And so I really like the idea that C-3PO was there when Vader, before Vader was Vader. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just, it's a nice call out to think of that innocence lost and the idea that those two characters have kind of grown together, but completely separately. Mm -hmm. I like Mm -hmm. it. I like it a lot. And I love how they switch masters too. Like 3PO ends up with Padme and R2 ends up with Anakin. Yeah. And I love how 3PO ends up with Luke. Like it, yeah. it comes full circle. Like I actually enjoy that he carries across and he's part of the team that helps Luke stop the, the Empire. Like that's, I love that. Yep. That and I mean, that's not, that's not all. He helps Ray and all of them. I mean, he's exactly. an amazing droid. Let's like, yep. let's get out of here. You know, shouts instead of R2-D2, C-3PO. <laughs> like give both of my boys their due. <laughs> Give them their flowers. They deserve mm-hmm. it. Exactly. Or medals. Or Give medals. the droids the medals. You can even use a magnet. You? I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So these are definitely not the most popular dudes out there, but I do want to shout out the battle droids. I thought that B1s? they were kind of, The B1s, man. Those original battle droids. They did, well, they sort of did their job, but, you know, they're... None of them are particular characters, but, you know, later on in other parts of the canon, we do get some B1s with some great personalities. I am talking Mm -hmm. very specifically about Mr. Bones (laughs) from the Aftermath trilogy and my boy Roger from Lego Star Wars. Oh, I love Roger. (laughs) Roger is so funny. (laughs) They're just great comedic relief. It's just Mm -hmm. so good. It's so pure. Even though they're the bad guys, it's still with this level of purity. Like speaking about the original trilogy and that kind of level of purity, I think that's what you get here with these guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have to I do, do this love for the Sarah every ones. time. Why? Why? <laughs> so cute. They're adorable, even though they are super deadly. If there's enough of them and no Jedi around, they still they're so funny. <laughs> so so funny. I love it. Oh man! All right, my favorite alien is Maul. Are you guys surprised? I love the Zabbards in shocked. general. I know. Shocking. 
No, I, I love the Zabrax, whether it's Knight Brothers on Dathomir or the normal, quote unquote, normal Zabrax, who some of them are Jedi Masters, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. They're just really interesting. These two hearted guys and gals just wandering around being awesome and also kind of dicks sometimes. I love Maul in particular. His skin is tattooed. That's not his normal skin color. Mm. He was tattooed mm-hmm. when he was very young. So not great. Mother Talzin, <laughs> you did this to him before Palpy got a hold of him. So parenting is not not awesome. Not at all. So shouts to Maul. Now and forever. I just wanted to give one little like tidbit. When I went to this really awesome Star Wars convention on the West Coast a few years ago, Ray Park was there to give a talk and he mm-hmm. talked about being Darth Maul. And one of the things that he said that sticks with me is he was talking about how when he was training and when he was younger watching movies with excellent martial artists, he didn't realize that some of them had like stunt assistance or like suspensions or those sort of things. And so for him, he wanted to make those things real. And so that kind of level of reality and commitment, all of that went into the stunts for Darth Maul. And I love that level of commitment and that, that, inner fantasy made real by this man's mm-hmm. devotion to his craft. I freaking love it. Mm. Yes. That's awesome. Yeah. His movements are insane. Yeah. Like no one can do that. <laughs> exactly. And that's exactly what he wanted to do. That's exactly what he wanted so. to do. Yes. Uh, a couple others that I had, I do also mm. want to shout out the droid decas, the destroyers, mm. those rolling droids with the shield generators. They're just so formidable. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so even hard to take out don't like them it was so cool (laughs) and we talked about these guys a little bit but the deep sea nabu fish were actually pretty cool looking i remember you've got the uh sando aqua monster the opc killer also known as the (laughs) goober fish the goober fish (laughs) (laughs) and the colo claw fish i mean yes there are a lot of fish and they go through like the exact same scene twice in the same sequence it's great. I love but it. I mean, they're all really cool looking. And guys, Naboo has its own Godzilla monster. What is not to love about that? Exactly. Yeah, I am waiting for that spinoff, actually. <laughs> um, so my my shout out this week for the alien has to be Sebulba. Um, he is a jerk. Sebulba is a jerk. Don't get me wrong. But I think the Doug race uh, that he belongs to are really cool. Like, I, I like their design and how they've got, like, they support themselves on their arms and they, they've got those big old uh, legs that they kick with like kangaroos um his kicking jar jar's ass might have been half of why i love them um but i mean it I, too i mean sabolba could get it sabolba so was tough yeah and i i thought his voice was so cool like the mm-hmm. way he speaks hatiz is mm-hmm. is just so cool i was like yeah man i i know that we need anakin to win the pod race but i'm kind of fine if you win a good like tertiary antagonist yeah he's a great he's a great little like minor villain so love it all right so then moving into our next little segment here are untouchables and unbearables what about this movie (laughs) is absolutely perfect and what just straight up doesn't work so this is where we're gonna get into those uh picking nits (laughs) sarah you want to start us Yeah, I have a few untouchables and like one unbearable. So to the extent we haven't covered them, like feel free to jump in folks to respond to these. Um, 
my first untouchable is just how well Obi-Wan Kenobi works with Qui-Gon. It's just fantastic. It's flawless. Sometimes it's without even a spoken word because they've gotten so used to working together. It's just, it's magical. It's mm -hmm. using the force. It's beautiful. And so in Master and Apprentice, Obi-Wan began understanding the intentions and the ability of Qui-Gon to cooperate with allies. And, and it's just fantastic to see them, particularly when they go after the Trade Federation folks. I love that. <laughs> the negotiations were short. <laughs> I love that part. Such a good line. Yes. <laughs> My next untouchable is just how beautiful the underwater Gungan city is. Oh, yeah. You, you never get tired of seeing it. It's just crystal beauty. I love it. Um, I do love my how the um Gungans were like, F the Naboo, though. <laughs> <laughs> they made us go underwater, so as they, the they should, yeah, for real. Colonizers, yeah, they need to learn how to work together. Their shield tech um, is very impressive, super, super impressive. impressive. Their weapons technology, too, is crazy good, yeah. My next untouchable is how Qui-Gon tries to mind truck with everyone, like Boss Ness <laughs> and Watto, even though it doesn't work. I, it's just, it's one of those beautiful insights into who Qui-Gon is as a Jedi and what he is willing to do as opposed to what others would be willing to do. I think it's very interesting and magical that Qui-Gon is always willing to like, move it along, move it along. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't spend and then, too much time on it. <laughs> No, no, no. And we've already kind of touched on this, but I find it to be untouchable Queen Amidala's ladies' maids and how Padme is hidden amongst them. Mm -hmm. um, shouts as well to the costuming. Absolutely bloody brilliant. Mm -hmm. And then my only unbearable, and I was wondering if one of you guys could kind of like flesh this out. My only unbearable <laughs> is that Darth Jar Jar Binks isn't real. I love this movie. I think it's I think it would have worked so well if George had just had the cojones to stick with it because I'm I I have like convinced myself that it's totally real or could have been real. So does anyone want to explain what like the Darth Jar Jar Binks kind of theory was before it was totally trashed in in a canon book? So it's been a it's been a while since I've watched the video, but I saw a, a video where someone points out like every moment where little things are going weird, Jar Jar would do like a little flick of his hand or he'd look over at something and then things would go just right. And so it kind of gave the impression that, you know, he was doing all this bumbling as an act that exactly. really, yeah. It's a martial it arts technique. That's, I mean, yeah. that's what makes it so credible. It's martial arts technique. So Jar Jar is such an idiot because he's drunk in boxing the whole time? Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. So yeah, I, I wish, I wish so much that Darth Jar Jar had been real. Um, yes. That would have rescued my hatred of Jar Jar if they had come around in the second and third movie and been like, oh, actually, this ding, ding, helpful ding. idiot had the whole time had been part of this dark plan. Mm -hmm. That would have been amazing. Uh, I just, I have some issues with how the Gungans are portrayed as weak-minded and bumbling. Um, yep. uh -huh. And like, Padme having to ask if Jar Jar is a Gungan, like, ma'am, you're the queen of this planet. Yeah, you <laughs> ought to know. Are you that kidding me? a tough look like, for our girl. Come on. <laughs> I mean, the Gungans were the Naboo in general. Anymore, yeah, that they, yeah, the that they drove themselves deep underwater. Yeah. The Naboo yeah. are a bunch of rich hippies, basically. 
they are renaissance like, artists. I don't know if you guys have ever seen the fan art that someone's made of what Darth Jar Jar could look like. It looks so epic. Cool. Oh, yeah. Epic. So epic. Cool. Oh, cool. Make it work, people. Make Gungans it have been work. Gungans have such a cool design and like they can look very intimidating. Like the the general yeah, I thought looked intimidating as a kid. Yeah. Oh yeah. Jar is ripped. Are you kidding me? Like look mm-hmm. at Jar Jar's arms. He is ripped yeah. as a mother trucker. He's cut. He is really cut. I mean, Queen Julia is not gonna throw down with just anyone. Jar Jar had better be looking good. <laughs> He's not gonna get a queen. I had um, forgotten about that. <laughs> <laughs> never forget i'm so sorry that i brought up to the fact that jar jar does get down <laughs> yeah that's one of the episodes i skip that's fine poor me <laughs> that's, our, that's our customary make daniel cry over something uh, <laughs> yeah no sentient bit. creatures here daniel that i could find that thank would, would make you cry <laughs> I don't know. thank goodness I'm, I'm with you guys i would love it if darth jar jar was actually true i do still hold in my mind a little bit that he is he is slightly force sensitive and I'm thinking mm. I compare it almost to which one was it? It was the character of Domino in Deadpool two oh, where they're in, they're the asking her thing. about her powers and she just says, I'm lucky. Yeah. Mm. And if you dive a little bit into the background of that, she's actually like super, super low level telekinetic. So mm. as she's moving and she like, unconsciously notices things she'll move things with her mind and it and so it ends up working out for her that's basically how i see jar jar he's like that's super cool. low level kind of force manipulating things without yeah. actually knowing it i, like I mean I watching like how he takes out the droids and everything you yeah believe it it's totally <laughs> believable exactly exactly and even if he's not like a sith he could still be a dark side user and not really know about it no, I mean he's the biggest bad of them all. This is the biggest cover up. <laughs> I, mean, I stand we'll talk by about it. That next pod when he he's actually Darth starts Plate, yes. the Club War. Episode ten, Darth Jar Jar. Let's go. <laughs> well, I mean, no, 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 no. I mean, Darth Plagueis would have been under Darth Jar Jar Binks. Like he is the epitome of it all in my heart. Would have to be really old. <laughs> I'm I just saying. Could be. He could be. I'm that just would saying. Be amazing. But then that would eliminate Darth Tenebris, and I love Darth Tenebris. He's a Bith, and that is just hysterical to me that a Bith becomes a Sith. <laughs> right? Like, what? He's a Sith Bith. He's a Sith Bith. He's a Bith Sith, yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anders, so... Anders, we should go on to yours. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to move on from Darth Jar Jar. I mean, we could talk about this for the next four hours. Let's be real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, my first untouchable is the music in this movie. We always end up mentioning John Williams, but he brought it here. This movie has two okay. of my absolute favorite music pieces from the franchise, starting with the victory celebration at the end. Daniel, I know you don't like watching the Gungans celebrate, but those <laughs> drums and that that score is so, so good. And it's actually recycled. Part of it is the Emperor's theme from Return of the Jedi played in a major key and sped up as a very, very subtle cue that Palpatine is the real winner in this whole thing. Or that Jar Jar is. <laughs> Sorry, I had to- <laughs> one more. I just had to do that one more. And then, I mean, probably my favorite musical piece from the entire franchise, Duel of the Fates. Mm -hmm. It is so good. The pacing of it, everything about it. It's insanely good. It's just great. Mm -hmm. 
Now, I do want to clarify. I don't have a problem with seeing the Gungans celebrate. It's mostly just Jar Jar that I don't, don't want to see celebrated. That's not what you said in Return of the Jedi. Hey. Okay. I didn't like seeing it because I was like, I know Jar Jar is in that crowd somewhere. I know he is. Oh, man. That's all right. He, he was called a collaborator and basically was run out of town. So it's fine. Yeah. As he should. We're going to carry that vendetta on. Yeah. Uh, and then, I mean, going on with Duel of the Fates, the the lightsaber duel here that goes with it is the best filmed one in the franchise, mm-hmm. yes. I think. The energy here is so, so great. You have the younger Jedi versus the Sith against each other. Maul has that double-bladed saber that is probably the coolest thing that's ever happened yeah. on screen. Yeah. And then, you know, after Qui-Gon, rest in peace, perishes the ewan mcgregor mall piece of that duel they are so so energetic they are so fast with what they're doing it's unlike anything we've ever seen or we'll see Obi-Wan frankly gets mad obi-wan gets really mad it's so incredible mm-hmm. yeah it's it's fantastic duel of the fates full stop is like the best thing in the prequels and one of the best things of the entire series in general yeah. i think anytime maul is in a fight it's going to be amazing just because his style is so different from everybody else's with, I remember in the theater when he lit up the dual bladed lightsaber, people were gasping. Yeah. Gasping. It just it how blew cool my it mind. Yeah. It was amazing. You're like, what? <laughs> like, why is he holding it weird? And then all of a sudden, Oh my God. And I also just, just love Dave Filoni's explanation of how important this yes. duel is to the franchise as a Mm -hmm. whole and how it is the heart of everything. The duel of the fates, they are fighting over the fate of what's going to happen to Anakin Skywalker, which is going to change the trajectory of everything. Yep. Amazing. (laughs) All right. Now moving into some unbearables. My first unbearable is actually no longer in this movie. (laughs) And I am talking about the Yoda puppet. I was about to say, what Yoda puppet? They made, so when this movie first came out, they had a strangely, I guess they were trying to de-age the puppet um, from like Empire Strikes Back. And it just looked so weird. He's it, still old. The, like, just the facial shape was all wrong. The eyes were like bugging out. Weird. It was really yeah. weird. Now, of course, they have gone back and replaced the puppet with a CGI Yoda, which looks meh. I, it's not it's not the best cgi especially I mean, he given... doesn't look like he's on ketamine anymore so it's okay <laughs> yeah uh and this one not as much as a, i this is more of an unbearable to people's reaction similar to what we talked about with jar jar and Ahmed best colleen i think you alluded to this earlier i don't think jake lloyd deserves as much hate as he got for this performance not only just talking about the fact that like he was a kid like let's not attack a child's but the mm-hmm. performance itself, I was like, it, it was okay. I mean, it's very hard to find a child who could capital A acts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this, it was a pretty standard, pretty standard child actor performance, like no better or worse than yeah. anything from like the early Harry Potter films or. Yeah. Not you know. every cast can be the Stranger Things cast. Let's be Exactly. Real. Not every cast exactly. can be the Stranger Kid cast. Not everyone can be Macaulay Culkin in uh, The Good Son. Like oh, such a good movie. <laughs> Haley Joel so Osment. Yeah. That's like light. They exist. Bottle. They exact yeah. they exist, but it's just 
the one unforgivable I'm going to give Jake Lloyd in this one is now this is pod racing. <laughs> the no, line it, so cute. The line itself, like I'll 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 give my uh, my hatred to George, but that was the one one that I'm just like, dude, no, like you, no, you you're not pulling that off. Oh, I thought he <laughs> and did. And it's not. And your enthusiasm to be in a space fight to the death as a nine year old is a little disturbing. <laughs> because that's his, this is the trajectory. He's a thrill junkie. Are you junkie. kidding me? Yeah, this is this is his his adrenaline rush. This is how he proves himself. This is it's the only thing that can keep his force talents in check. He's like buzzing, y'all. <laughs> this is pod racing. Are you kidding me? When it's peak Anakin, I mean, he is a drama king, and he is that thrill junkie. Like, mm-hmm. what does he do? Go hide somewhere on Naboo. We're gonna go hide in one of the star. <laughs> like, what? Let's go hide in this cockpit. I'm sure it'll be yeah. fine. He knew exactly what he was doing. This is just a precocious kid saying out loud, I am not reaching in the cookie jar right now. Right. Like, yeah. I think some of his scenes are very good when he's with the Jedi Council and he's like petulant, but also he really desperately wants to join them. I think he plays really well off of Sam L. Mm-hmm. I think they have actually a really good rapport. I don't know if Sam L would be like, I hate kids. <laughs> Maybe he does. <laughs> but for some reason, that just worked really well for Jake Lloyd in that scene. And he does really well with Liam Neeson, mm-hmm. which is probably just because Liam Neeson has big dad energy and just was really gracious and kind in those scenes. I feel bad for Natalie Portman, too. People get really down on her about these movies. And she is a phenomenal Academy Award winning actress. I mean, she is amazing. Yeah. Even at this young of an age. I mean, in Leon the Professional, she's insane. All yeah. she needed was like good dialogue and a little bit of direction. Uh-huh. And maybe things would have been fine. She like she has so many good parts in this movie, but none of them are with Anakin. Yeah. Which is yeah. troubling. Cause she just seems like a big sister or a babysitter. She doesn't seem like she's on any sort of the same level with this kid, which is hard to watch later on when you're like, oh, they're going to make babies together. This is super awkward. <laughs> yeah. Just now. My unbearable is under- what? No, I can I can understand a nine-year-old having a crush on a 14-year-old. Yes. I can yes. totally understand that. Sure. We just needed, we either needed the age gap to be different smaller. here, or we needed them to be older in the next movie. I I just wanted to say that, like, I don't want to sound creepy, <laughs> but I find it to be believable. I can believe it. And, like, maybe we need to wait until Flo Siegel comes on and she'll, <laughs> she'll justify it further. But I can find it believable. I just... I think in this movie, they weren't thinking romance yet. It was just a little boy who was starting to develop a crush. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's totally believable to yes, me. Yes, that is. Yes. I just Thank wish you. they told us their ages. That's yeah. what made it weird. It was like, because I thought she was like 16 or 17 and that he was like eight. <laughs> right. That's Which, my like, big thing. The crush thing, is... thing makes sense too. But then when you think about moving forward and them being a couple, it just was like, really? But then once I found out he was like 10, she's 14. It's only like a four-year age difference that makes things much better. Yeah, maybe it's because I maybe it's because I very distinctly remember the weird the weird owl song that goes along with this movie. <laughs> yeah. He's nine and she's 14, that mm-hmm. I knew their ages. I 
I can understand watching this movie and like thinking ahead about the fact that they are going to ultimately be together and make some twins. But in this movie, I don't see any romantic pieces beyond, you know, the kid having a crush on his babysitter. Or I mean, I, I don't see it. I don't see this as creepy in the, in the yeah. context of this movie. Right. And I if you don't... only had this movie, it would be different. It would be fine. Like the only yeah. time that I think Padme gives any sort of real indication of affection beyond, you know, he's an adorable little boy that we've we formed a bond as mm-hmm. friends is when Anakin is leaving for the temple and she has that line, we'll tell her you said goodbye. We are sure mm-hmm. her heart goes with you. Which, okay, maybe that line, maybe that crosses a little bit of a line, but it also sounds like a very queenly type thing to say, especially when you're pretty sure you're never going to see the kid again. Yeah, magnanimous, very magnanimous answer. I don't know. I I think just going where it goes, it it weirds me out just because visually the difference is so, like, off. Like, I think that's what always weirds me out. And like, puberty takes care of that. It does make sense though that he's immature opposed to her later on that that's Mm -hmm. one of the reasons their relationship is ultimately not going to work is that because of his Jedi training, he's a little failure to launch a little stuck Mm -hmm. at a certain age. Mm -hmm. So it does make sense. It just was very jarring when I, as a teenager watched it and was like, somebody who's almost my age is going to end up with somebody who's 10. That was, but then, yeah, that wasn't their real ages, but in the, in the theater, I was like, Mm, weird however Qui-Gon and Shmi flirting up a storm I am here for that (laughs) that is an untouchable get after it you two for real because you know they absolutely went at it oh yeah you know they got down when he helps her down off of the horse camel creature and Mm -hmm. she's like oh my (laughs) Qui-Gon oh Liam Neeson oh right oh no you big tree Mm -hmm. like what will I ever do That is adorable. I love them. I wish they had had more time together. Uh, my unbearable is the pod racing scene. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Where were the editors? Did George lock them in a trailer? Because I think, So I timed it out. I think from the moment that Jabba spits at the gong to the point Anakin crosses the finish line is like nine minutes and 45 seconds. Of That's heaven. Long. It, it, it is That's great. Long. It's fun to watch, but for a scene that has like next to zero to do with the plot it's pretty long yeah like I'll if give it you were, that for if sure it, if it was like if it if it was like anakin's in the pod and darth maul is chasing him for whatever reason that you come up with for that like that at least is plot driven <laughs> this is just trying to run over a i gotta show off anakin later. has reflexes yes. and you spend 10 minutes doing it <laughs> fun to watch Ten believable minutes <laughs> cut it in half Five minutes <laughs> would have been so much better. Oh man! Oh my gosh! How about you, Daniel? What are yours? So, um, Untouchables Mall just absolutely terrifying. It it frustrates me that we don't see him more in this trilogy, but thank goodness to uh, you know the other properties that he'll show up in. We love yep. to see it. Mm-hmm. Um, the relationship between Obi Wan and Qui Gon is is top notch. It's really well acted. Um, I love 
seeing what the Jedi were like in that time. Yeah. And I like seeing how, like, how different Qui-Gon is. Or, like, how they talk about, like, you know, the council's never going to make you a master. But it seems like Qui-Gon is so in touch with things in a way that you never see other Jedi being in touch with things later on. Mm-hmm. And it's like, of, of course he had to go. Because if there were more Jedi around like him, we wouldn't probably have seen Anakin fall. Um, so I thought Qui-Gon's a and fascinating brother, no, character. No, no, no. Let's take a moment to like revel in that truth. Yeah. Hugs. Mm. All yes. the hugs. Yeah. Oh, hugs the people. Yeah, the therapy. <laughs> I, I really feel like if Qui-Gon had been Anakin's master, there would not have been the secrets. Like Correct. Qui-Gon, Qui-Gon would have known about Padme immediately. Correct. Because either he would have found out or Anakin would have told him. Correct. And he would have he would have guided him properly along that path. I don't think he would have ever snitched to the council about it. No. Um, yeah. I mean, Obi Wan didn't. Yeah. yeah I mean, Obi doesn't. Uh, yeah, because he tries to be more like Qui Gon, but he's not Qui Gon. Is the problem. right? Right. He's just not that person. Um, yeah. So I, I absolutely love that part of it. Um, as we've talked about, huge fan of the pod race scene because um, it's so <laughs> ingrained in me as a kid and. It made me love, you know, kind of like chase scenes. And and I love car chase scenes now because of that. Um, if any of you guys are Whose Line Is It Anyway fans, Greg mm. Proops from <laughs> Whose Line It Anyway is the announcer. Um, yes. So my brother and I were big fans of that growing up. So when we realized who that was, um, that was pretty, pretty fantastic. Um, so this isn't quite as an untouchable as the others that I just talked about. Um, but I like that they go for more serious politics in this. Yeah, I like the attempt at a more serious world. Um, it's just so at odds with the hijinks that ensue. So again, we needed an editor or a writer partner here. We yeah. love you, Such George. Such as but... bringing the nine-year-old back to the war planet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that right. Was a, that was a choice. <laughs> <laughs> um, so some of the unbearables we've already talked about. Uh, my distaste for the Nemoidians and uh, the Gungans and the Toydarians having some stereotypes. Mm-hmm. The the Gungans are fascinating. That city is beautiful. I just wish that the natives of the planet weren't portrayed the way they were. Mm-hmm. Um, because humans are not native to Naboo. No. Uh, yeah. So the the Gungans are fascinating. I think that city is amazing. What really bugs me about this movie, and in turn, like a lot of the prequels, is the Chosen One prophecy. What does it mean? I do not understand it. What <laughs> does it mean to bring balance? To follow it. <laughs> right. Like, what's it mean to bring balance to the force? Because what well, is that mean the Jedi and the Sith both being destroyed? Well, the Sith come back in legends, and then the dark side comes back in canon. Uh, the Jedi keep coming back. It's like it's this cyclical thing. So is the chosen one like a recurring thing? Is Anakin or Luke supposed to be the only chosen one? We don't get enough information. Our prophecy is real. Yeah. Our prophecy is right. real. self-fulfilling. <laughs> right. Is it like, fate? Is it free will? We just needed, I think either we needed to go in deeper to the prophecy or just not talk about it. Hmm. Uh, it, it just, it feels like untapped potential that just isn't enough. And then we've already talked about the Anakin Padme thing. I, I will say retroactively, my brother and I have decided that the biggest thing that we're disappointed with is that Anakin wasn't played by Heath Ledger. Heath Ledger would have been Ooh. the absolute best Anakin. Cause if you want to have like Padme and Anakin have sparks fly and make a believable relationship across three movies, come on. Yeah. Are we Stick going with, Heath the, with Ledger the, in there? 
we're going with the nine-year-old child or Heath Ledger in Even 1999. younger Hayden Christensen would have been a better choice. Yes, exactly. It just I would just, have been a better choice. Yeah, that go, it all goes back to, I just, I feel like Phantom Menace is, is a little too removed. I wish we had seen more of Anakin as a man and as a Jedi. Because yeah. we just skip 10 years into the future in the next one. And we miss a whole stretch of like, his teenage years are very important to right. like forming who he is. And we just get a small uh, snippet of him as, as a man in the Clone Wars. And then that's it. Yeah. Um, so that I think is, is the thing that bugs me the most is, is that two and three are much more connected because we get Hayden Christensen Anakin. I wish we had had that consistency across all three movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Agree. And a nine-year-old being a pilot extraordinaire. Like I, I love the pod race scene, but that he's a little boy. You're going to tell me he's flying that, that Naboo starfighter better than the other people. Come on. Well, even though the starship scene. Yeah. Yes. But he does take off autopilot. He does. He does. I think that's a good trick. That's his like force thing though. Or yeah. it makes sense oh, eventually sure. through all like the canon and legend stuff that Anakin just mm-hmm. was that good of a pilot. That was just his innate skill. But in it this, just, yeah, you're like, yeah. how is this nine-year-old doing this? I would have believed it more had it been like a 15-year-old child. Yeah. Um, but that's that being said, though, the space scenes are thrilling. So I do enjoy that. They are still pretty thrilling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, so looking at this movie kind of in the context of the larger franchise, this is obviously the first time we've really come back to the franchise in almost 22 years. Mm -hmm. Daniel, Mm -hmm. what does this movie do to kind of build the world out, build on what came before it? So even though we go back to Tatooine, you know, we've already seen Tatooine before, we get our first real look at other societies. So we had only seen like Cloud City and the Ewoks. That's about it. We don't really see any other civilizations we get Coruscant, we get Naboo, we get a better look at what Tatooine's actually like. Um, we see how the Republic's functioning, how they have a Senate. Like we, we heard about the Senate, but now we're actually on the Senate floor in those floaty hover things, seeing <laughs> like things go on. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that expansion of the world, really kind of understanding all the different societies and civilizations out there is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And as kind of an extension of that, I think one of the biggest things that this movie does to expand our concept of what quote unquote Star Wars is and what it can be is actually just introducing color. So much of the original movie is very, very black, white, you know, Tatooine, I guess, is sand colored, whatever you want to call that beige. Beige, yeah. Beige, <laughs> but there's so, so much color introduced in this movie. There's a lot of deep reds greens there's lush planets all this stuff that's going on in contrast to the era of the empire and we start to get an idea of what a military could be outside of just the empire so the main government and the kind of ragtag rebellion we get the naboo who have their own private starfighter fleet we get the trade federation and their droid armies and what that was like before the rise of the empire right well and the republic doesn't have a standing army either so right which is weird (laughs) and then on the trade federation again this is our first and you know we've talked about how it's slightly problematic with them individually but the trade federation is our first look at a culture that is distinctly alien the empire was very very human focused and everything we've really seen up until this point has been very human focused 
until the Trade Federation and then the Gungans too, Mm -hmm. obviously with our underwater cities. So it was really cool to see someone, to see a society in this story that is important to the story that is Mm -hmm. Mm non-human. Which Mm -hmm. also worked for Palpatine turning people against alien races because most of these separatists are alien races. Mm -hmm. On the politics note, we get a first real look at the hierarchy of the Jedi Order, which is taught by the council. And I wanted to ask you guys, Obi-Wan mentions Qui-Gon defying the council in the past when it comes to like Anakin's training and everything. So when did Qui-Gon first disobey the council? Do we know? I don't know when he first defies them, but he definitely turns down their membership. He does. Which is hysterical. He's like, nah, thanks. I don't need to be part of your council. I mean, in Master and Apprentice, he does disobey a couple times when Obi-Wan kind of like turns on him, quote unquote, and goes and tattles to the council about what's going on. Yeah, he's a snitch. (laughs) So that at least is once. I mean, he learned under Dooku, so I'm sure he's done a couple other things that the council might not appreciate. Yeah. (laughs) So I don't really know of any official times he's, uh, you know, messed with them, but I like that his outside the box way of thinking eventually comes back and is one of the things that saves the galaxy by him teaching Yoda and then by extension Obi-Wan how to be force ghosts. I love... I love that the guy who the council thought, ah, he's, you know, he's messing around. He's, he's not doing the things that we're supposed to. Well, that explore, that exploration discovery saved the galaxy in the end. So. Yep. God, I just love Definitely. Oh my God. The best. <laughs> he is the best. He's so good. <laughs> and so our next segment here, what does this movie teach us or expand on our knowledge of the concept of the force? Sarah? You got a particular one you want to start with? Yeah, I mean, we have to start with metaphricanchlorians. <laughs> I love how Qui-Gon just takes a blood sample, like no big D, got to get that metaphricanchlorian. No HIPAA, no nothing. Just takes nothing, <laughs> nothing. And so I wanted to hear from you guys, where do we stand on metaphricanchlorians? I always thought they were fine. Like, I know some people had very strong reactions to this whole idea that the force is somewhat science-based or something and that there's a biological component to it instead of just being a mystical this Mm -hmm. i think the general argument is trying to force more sci-fi into a fantasy element type thing Mm. but i never really had a problem with it i was just like oh that's how that works all right Um, Uh, yeah that's about where i ended it it. (laughs) i don't mind it i mean I think Darth Plagueis makes it better. It makes mm-hmm. it more interesting from the science standpoint because he is foremostly a scientist. Kind of throwing it in there like this, which he has done before. I mean, every force thing that came about in the original trilogy was thrown in there. And I I don't mind it. And I didn't mind it then. I was like, oh, cool. There's like small tannic creatures in our blood. It makes sense. That it would have um, a scientific component. It kind of bothered me at first how it was a little more biologically based than the understanding that we get in the original trilogy of how it's an energy field that surrounds us. And uh, But I like how some of the newer canon has made it clear that anyone can tap into the force. Yeah. So yes. 
you might have metachlorians, you might have like a lower or higher count, but even if you have metachlorians, you're not necessarily going to be open to the force. Um, yep. It's just sometimes you might have a little bit more and it helps you along. So I, I like that they're, they've added in a little bit more of the mysticism again, so that it's this balance between both. Uh, so now that there's that, I don't mind the metachlorians as much. I agree 100%, Daniel. Without that labor of love, that little extra bit, it kind of took away from the idea that anyone could be a Jedi. Mm -hmm. And bringing back what Daniel was mentioning, it was critical to rehabilitating that image, in my in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And it makes sense that certain people would just be more open to it, yep. like whether it's spirituality or biologically they said in the mandalorian that if grogu stopped using it that it would just kind of fade mm -hmm. so it's like a muscle that you actually have to work out which is it's a cool concept like heck yep. yeah mm -hmm. yep. exactly my next question that i had to look up the answer to um and this kind of gets into from the top of the show talking about how the books help deeper your appreciation and understanding our understanding of the force, why the Jedi weren't dead when they were poisoned by the trade federation. And it's because they had Jedi self healing techniques, which I think is so flipping cool. Mm -hmm. And they could use the force to cleanse their bodies of most poisons or at least slow that process down. And you get some of that in the lore and when Ray heals the snake and Ben Solo. Um, mm. I just, I love this idea because when I was watching the movie for the first time, I just didn't understand why they didn't succumb to the poison. I mean, besides the fact that the movie would have just ended. <laughs> I mean, I always thought they just kind of held their breath for a long time. Like they do take a very big inhale. They can. When the, when it, and I just assumed that they can hold their breath for a while. Yep. So I have a quick anecdote. This isn't canon anymore, but in Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic 2, it's a video game from like 2003, 2004, you're on the uh, moon of Narshada, which is like the hut planet mm -hmm. area where they, uh, <laughs> yeah. So you're in this alien club and they lure you in and they all of a sudden just pump gas in and you're a Jedi character and you're sitting there like choking out like, oh God, I'm, I'm going to die. What am I doing? And your master reaches out to you and she tells you how like, you can use the force to bolster yourself and mm -hmm. like survive mm -hmm. off the oxygen within you and just close yourself off to That's the toxins cool. around you. And it's, it's a really neat moment because all these aliens are expecting you to fall over and die and you just get up and everyone's shook. They're like, what? What do we do? What do we do? <laughs> so, yeah, I, I love that Jedi have all these mystical abilities. Yep. The last one I wanted to bring up before we talk about what you guys found to be interesting is the training of Anakin, who is obviously an older child. Um, interestingly, I found the council was open to letting Anakin be trained by Qui-Gon after first saying no, like as if Qui-Gon even gave them a freaking choice. And then Obi-Wan is then allowed to train him, though Yoda was not pleased at all. Mm -hmm. But he was willing to go with the council. He was willing to be like, I don't agree, but this is what everyone has decided. So we're going to do it. You know, him and Mace were like, having a freaking session afterwards <laughs> bitching about this <laughs> which i just love to imagine samuel with the puppet just 
On that note, Sarah, though, one thing I do think that's really interesting, and this actually kind of gets back to some of the things we said way back in our New Hope episode, how these movies do a lot with not as much detail. So while they do talk about Anakin being too old, they never actually tell us how young you should be. Right. And this is all stuff that we've all kind of filled in through later content, relying Mm -hmm. on expanded universe stuff. Um, you know, too old can be set at like two years old. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Obi-Wan says that he's too old and he was three. And his Qui-Gon's friend, Rael Avaros, who is amazing, was considered very old at five. Like he'd get super weird looks from the other Padawans that he was taken in when he was five. The quote unquote best age for the Jedi to not steal children is as a baby, because then you have no attachment. <laughs> So horrible. <laughs> so so friggin' bad. Every yes, Mr. Space myself. Wizard, just take my baby. Go on. Yeah, here yes. you go. <laughs> oh, these poor babies, I swear. Um, this part was cool. I love this idea. On the Sith side, we get the first canon reference to the rule of two and the first on-screen mention of the Sith instead of being Dark Jedi. So we get a word for what Palpatine and Vader are. considering how important cool. they are to the story it just it boggles my mind mm-hmm. that we don't actually hear that word until this movie yep mm-hmm. you can tell in legends when the phantom menace came out because they start saying sith instead of dark <laughs> jedi you're like oh wait here we go when was this published after 1999 okay we also get to see like we said before the master apprentice relationship because Luke gets like a little bit of training from Yoda and Obi-Wan, but this is like the full-fledged, actual Jedi-mandated master-apprentice relationship. And the first mention of the word Padawan. If you don't want to enrage older Star Wars fans, just say apprentice. That also works (laughs) just fine. And also seeing the Padawan braid, which is an atrocity on Ewan McGregor and... You don't like that rat tail? Come on, they massacred my boy. <laughs> Not a fan. His beautiful face, and then you did that to his hair. Mm-hmm. Just wrong. Yeah. So we also see the prophecy. We get this natural extension of the Daniel's favorite in the past. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, hey, I I like the idea of the prophecies. Just tell me more. Uh, but yeah, so it's an extension of the visions we've seen, where Luke, you know, he has the vision of his friends in danger, but then we see they can predict the future in even bigger ways. Like they have prophecies for stuff going on years and years into the future. Um, So that's pretty fascinating to see. We also get to see the Jedi instinct through Anakin's reflexes while pod racing. And then the test with the council, which I think is such a cool scene where he's listing off what's on the screen on the other side. Um, And he's just comfortable with it. He's able to do it, Um, which is wonderful. And then also speaking of people being comfortable with it, Qui-Gon, very comfortable, very liberal with his use of the mind trick. Absolutely. Um, You know, it's a little more subtle than than the use we see Obi-Wan just full on in the open, except I love when Watto calls him out on it. Like, you can't use that on me. What are you doing, man? So that was pretty, pretty fantastic. It's nice to know that there are certain beings that are just like, no, my mind's too good for that. Mm-hmm. huts man watch out for mm-hmm. the huts <laughs> and then we also get a couple we get a couple of very subtle force abilities that we 
also I'm pretty sure never see again uh, mm-hmm. outside of this movie. One of one, one of which was so subtle that until I read the novel, I didn't know that it was actually a force move. Really? <laughs> and, th- and this is in the, the Gungan ship. They're going through the core. Jar Jar is freaking out and Qui-Gon's just like, calm down. And Obi-Wan has this like almost inaudible, you overdid it. And it turns out he basically did like the, the Jedi version of the Vulcan nut clinch to knock out Jar Jar. And he used the force to like make him go to sleep. And I, I just had no idea that that was him using the force until I read the book. Should have been used more often. <laughs> and then in the opening sequence of the movie, you know, um, Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan are attempting to break into the bridge on the Trade Federation ship. And the Droidekas come out and start opening fire and the two of them use this like super speedy force run. Like it's actually jarring when you notice how fast they move right. off screen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but again, we'd never see that ever again. No, nope. would have been cool. No force speed for anyone. Just that nope. one time. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, I think that is going to wrap up our main discussion here on the film. So as always, we will end with our recommendations for content that you may enjoy if you liked The Phantom Menace. Colleen, you want to kick us off? I guess. Coming at you. Star Wars literature. The first one I have is Queen's Peril by E.K. Johnston, which is about Padme's rise to Queen of Naboo. It focuses on her and the original Handmaiden team. There are two teams. These ladies are more than what they seem, not just decoys, but trained in combat, tactics, and espionage by Panaka, who is Padme's chief of security, who is in this movie. And we will never see him again for reasons, which we will explain in Attack of the Clones. Next, we have the Darth Maul comic, which is written by Colin Bunn and Luke Ross. It's fantastic. It focuses on my main dude, Maul. It's right before The Phantom Menace. Palpy's kind of like sending him on missions and stuff to get his energy out so he doesn't try and kill every Jedi he comes across. It shows (laughs) Maul's like inner turmoil and his rage, of course, really well. And it's really beautifully drawn. Plus, there's a possible Hondo sighting for Ander. Yeah. <laughs> we love. Sure Mr. Hondo Onaka a boy. is in this comic. He looks great. And then, of course, for Legends, I have to plug at least one Legends book. Timothy Zahn's Outbound Flight is set between The Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones. So you get to see Anakin and Obi-Wan at an earlier stage in their relationship, which is adorable. Anakin's like 14, and he's already <laughs> a little shit. <laughs> Poor Obi-Wan's like, what am I going to do with this kid? It's fantastic. I love this book. And then Anakin and Obi-Wan aren't the main part of this book or this story. Uh, This book is one of the few books which I have wanted to throw in rage. (laughs) Beware when you read it. It's a really great way to meet young Thrawn, though, and the Chiss. This is one of the books that was written shortly before the acquisition. And it's just excellent. Timothy's on all the way, guys. Daniel, oh, yeah, how he's about fantastic. you? Mm-hmm. Um, so my recommendations this week, I wanted to celebrate prequels that I find pretty compelling. Uh, so first off, the absolute template for prequels, The Hobbit. It's so good. Uh, if you've not read Lord of the Rings, what are you doing? Go read The <laughs> Hobbit and then go read Lord of the Rings. Um, it's just such a, a fun story and you know you get to see where the ring gets to be where it is to start the fellowship and it's it's one of it's one of my favorites i read that when i was a kid my mom was so excited to show it to me so special place in my heart there um next i want to say the 2010 series of the planet of the apes films 
Uh, we get to actually see how the apes become the dominant force in the world. And so instead of, you know, the original where Charlton Heston's like, oh, I'm in the future. What? No, we see that future being built. Um, so it's really good. And we just see a fantastic performance in there. Um, Andy oh, my Circus. gosh. Andy Circus, mm-hmm. Thank you. Another he was Lord of the Rings. Shout out. Mm-hmm. And Star Wars alum. And Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So his performance. Fantastic. And then the last one I want to give a give a warm little bit of love to is the Knights of the Old Republic series. As I've mentioned before, we see the galaxy 4000 years before the events of the Star Wars films. So it's a huge playground. You get to do all this stuff that doesn't affect the current canon because it's 4000 years ago. And it's it's set during a galactic war between the Jedi and the Republic against the Sith. Um, it's a hugely popular part of Star Wars fandom. Um, you know, there's a lot of love for it. There's a lot of rumors about it being adapted or parts being brought into canon. Um, Keep one my of fingers the... crossed for Ryan Johnson, Ryan Johnson's yes. trilogy. Yes, <laughs> yes. one of the one of the cut episodes um, from season six of Clone Wars. One of the things that they were going to do was have Darth Revan be one of the figures that Yoda talks to when he goes to Moraband, which is called Coraban. I will always stand by Korriban. That's its name. And then I like one, both. <laughs> yeah, both are good, but I grew up with Korriban. Um, and one thing we've been talking about the Handmaidens so much in this and how awesome they are, they actually influence a group in the second Knights of the Republic game. There's this group of Handmaidens that are elite warrior women who serve this, uh, this you know, I, I don't want to spoil who their master Atris is, but they're fantastic and they they can teach you how to be like a better fighter in the game because they're just so badass so gotta shout out my love to the handmaiden woman definitely uh for my recommendations this week i'm going to start with the legends novel the wrath of darth maul by (laughs) Ryder windham this is a great relatively quick read um detailing the basically childhood and upbringing of Maul on Mustafar under Palpatine's Sith training. Mm. Do you kind of feel for him? It's a rough rough. read for him. It is rough. Mm. But then it takes, it tells his kind of whole story leading up to the events of this film. And then Daniel's usually the only one who gets to plug video games, but this is the one time I get to do it too. Um, one of the first games I ever had on my PS2 was Star Wars Starfighter, which was released kind of in conjunction with this movie. You play as mm-hmm. a Naboo pilot, I think a bounty hunter or a smuggler at various points in the game uh, during the Trade Federation invasion of Naboo. And if you had the right cheat code, you could unlock uh, Maul Sith Infiltrator, which was the greatest shit to have. <laughs> I adore this game, and I was so happy to see you put this on this list. <laughs> Sarah, how about you? I've got three coming in hot for you. Um, the first one is the Legends novel Darth Plagueis by James Lucino, and it sets the background for this whole story. Plagueis is the main character, but we also get young Palpatine during his apprentice years, so it's a really cool look at the Sith side. Mm-hmm. Then Have on you the heard the tragedy side. of Darth Plagueis the Wise? I couldn't let it go without saying that. <laughs> What is what would be a tragedy is if people who have listened to this podcast and have watched the movie, if they don't read Master and Apprentice by Claudia Gray, it happens eight years before The Phantom Menace when Obi-Wan is 17 and it is 
phenomenal. If you love Qui-Gon, this is like, honestly, it's tattooed on your skin as a must read. Um, I absolutely adored it. And then finally, this one's just kind of classic. If you love this movie, guess what? There's a whole freaking novel about it by Terry Brooks, <laughs> mm-hmm. where you get some of those extra gems that we were talking about with respect to the Jedi and their use of the force. So like, if you're wanting to mine the movie for extra details, you absolutely have to read the novelization by the same name. Looking at Master and Apprentice, if Claudia Gray does not write the Satine and Obi-Wan story, I will be very upset. Like, she's a treasure she needs to keep writing more we love yeah. her give it to us please Claudia Gray. Yeah. Mm-hmm. we're begging you <laughs> all right you guys i think that is where we're going to wrap things up for today thank you for joining us you can find us on twitter and instagram at yet another star wars podcast subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast stitcher spotify apple hit that subscribe button as hard as you can check out all the offerings in the forgotten entertainment family at forgottenentertainment.com you can, of course, also find Anders, Sarah, and I on the Bohemian Geek Studies podcast, where we're currently diving into Mabu Star Wars Rebels. Wow. Rebels. You can also find my Star Wars book reviews on BohemianGeekStudies.com. I'm currently on the New Jedi Order, which is tragic and awful, and please read it. <laughs> and of course, tune in again next time when we'll be joined by Bohemian Geek Studies Princess of the Prequels and revel in how much we love sand obviously, as we discuss episode two, Attack of the Clones. Thanks, you guys, so much. This is great. I'll say it. I like sand.